Day to you too. That was kind of rude. Um, it is Mother's Day. We have some gifts for our mothers. Uh, they are uh, macaroons, macaroons, macarons, macarons. I don't know. Um, however, they're pronounced. We have them. Uh, and so, if you're a mother here or uh, would like to take one to your mother later today, we have some extra. Uh, so Danielle's going to be going by here, or you can catch her after services. Uh, and get one of those uh, to give to your mother or to receive as a a mother. We have some great moms in this church. Uh, And so even, yeah, who's here for moms? Uh, So even if you're not a mom, in many ways, uh, you're a mother in this church, and anyone that helps to bless and raise the kids in this church family is part of uh, all of our families, and so we're certainly thankful for you and want to celebrate you uh, today. Um, But in the sermon, uh, we're going to be talking about worship. Um, Also, if you came in and you saw these colored dots on the floor, uh, that's for the day school program that's this week. Um, it's not for the after-church uh, all-congregation twister game. Just, I didn't want anyone to get the wrong idea and come rushing up here at the invitation. That's not what they're for. Um, they're for day school. Um, but today we're, we're really going to be talking about worship. Uh, worship is not just a thing we do on Sundays because God tells us to. And I think it's important that, that we think about why it is that we're coming together on Sunday mornings to worship God with one another, why it's important that we're here, uh, what's happening at worship, what we're participating in when we go to worship God. Uh, Because if we think that it's just worshiping God is is our way of of singing to Him, uh, there was a a big movement um, maybe 15 or 20 years ago talking about how worship happens with an audience of one. Worship happens with an audience of one. And there's something that I think is good about that. Uh, There are times that worship can become performative and that we're too worried about the quality and we're too worried about uh, what the audience receives from the show on stage, where worship becomes about what, uh, what the people on stage are delivering to those in the audience. Uh, And it misses the idea that worship should be directed towards God and not towards Uh, the listeners. And so that movement is there, but I think when we get that idea that worship is just for an audience of one, we're missing a lot of the power of what really is happening in worship. And we can get the idea that God needs our singing, uh, that God is almost uh, a pouty and jealous fellow that's sitting somewhere going, man, I don't like Fridays very much because no one sings to me, but Sundays I like because they sing to me and they're better. Um, that God in some way is lacking without our worship. But that's not the case, uh, that God is lacking without our worship. The truth is that God doesn't need our worship, but we need to worship God. God has created us as worshipful beings. God has created us so that you will, in your heart, in your mind, in your life, worship somebody or something. You can't not worship. Uh, You can worship um, people, uh, celebrities, and they can become idols to you, but inevitably they will let you down and disappoint you. Uh, How many times have you heard an athlete say, I just wanted to be an athlete, I didn't ask to become a role model? 
Uh, they've been put in that place because people have wrongly worshipped them, and it's caused a problem. Things fall apart when we worship the wrong things. You can worship money, and if you chase money and chase money and chase money, what you'll find is that you can never have enough to satisfy your need to worship it. You can worship beauty, beauty and youth, and inevitably you will end up old uh, and, and not looking the way that you want to look. It falls apart. You will worship something, but anything that is not eternal will disappoint you. And if you say to yourself, I'm not a worshipful person, I don't worship anything, what you'll find is that almost always when someone says, I don't worship anything, is that they are almost always worshiping some version of themselves and their wants, their desires, their needs. And so we have to choose what or who we are going to worship. And anything that's not God lets us down. And so we need to be worshipful beings, and God created us to have that need. And when we worship the one who is the greatest and recognize that he is great and we are not, it helps us to be rightly ordered in the world. And so whenever we worship something that is not the creator and not the greatest, our world becomes disordered and disoriented. We think that we're the big deal. We think that the responsibility of setting the world into the right way of everything belongs to me, that I'm the one that can fix it. And instead, good worship of the one who created everything puts him in charge and me in submission to God, and the world gets rightly ordered. And so every Sunday, we come together to worship God and rightly order our lives for our benefit, not just for God's benefit. But there's also an element of worship that's for the one another in the room, that I worship in a way that is intended to bless and encourage you, and that you worship in a way that's intended to bless and encourage me, so that there's not just an audience of one, that we are in a way, blessing one another as the audience and co-participants in our worship. And there's also this aspect where in worship we come into the presence of God, and when you come into the presence of God, you should always leave changed. You should never be able to say, yeah, I was in God's presence the other day. It was fine. It you know, took five to ten minutes. I left pretty much the same as I arrived. Things weren't that big of a deal. It was just the presence of God. We should not be able to be in God's presence and leave as untransformed people. But the way that we worship is sometimes a little bit unusual in the world that we live in today because um, there are not many times that we sing out loud these days. Um, one of the things that, that my wife could tell you is that in the, the many times of me courting her, I never once thought, you know, I think she'll probably marry me if I serenade her. Um, and Arlette's laughing because she sits next to me when I sing in the song before I come up here, and she's like, yeah, that wouldn't do it. <laughs> but, it but it wouldn't do it, would it? She's going to have to love me for something else. Yeah, exactly. That's the reality that I live in. And some of you here can relate to that, that you don't... Um, communicate love to other people through song. Now, there's some of you who do. There's some of you who are gifted in song and can perform with excellence, and you probably have opportunities to use that gift to bless others and to let them appreciate the blessings God's given you. 
that's not my, that's not my gift in life, is to sing. And so I don't often sing out loud or sing in front of others. And I was talking to Poncho about this kind of dynamic a couple weeks ago as we were talking about worship. And he says, people used to sing all the time. People used to sing in the shower. People would sing when they were working. They would whistle while they worked. They would sing in the car. They would sing uh, while they were doing dishes. I have memories of my great-grandmother, Grandma Hill, sitting and doing uh, singing the whole time she was cooking in the kitchen. Do any of you guys remember your great-grandparents singing while they were cooking or cleaning or just around the house? Uh, Singing used to be part of so many areas of life. Families would sing together and just enjoy that. It used to be part of the world in ways that it isn't today. Because somewhere between the radio and the Walkman and our AirPods, music stopped being something we participated in, and it became something that we consumed. It became something that we enjoyed. We listened to it, but we rarely produced it. And that's unfortunate because there is something about exercise that's healthy. It engages your body and it engages your mind. There is something about reading that engages your mind and, and, and your, your, the way that you think about things in a way that other things can't. And there is something about singing and about music that engages your soul and your spirit. Because God made us this way. God made us as worshipful beings, and we need to be engaging all of our body in how we worship God. So we should be worshiping God through activating our our body through service of others and through acts. Uh, On Wednesday nights right now, we have the men's ministry does something called work as worship. They're using their bodies to worship God through acts of service. There is an element that where we read scripture, it transforms our mind through the knowledge of Christ more and more into the image of Christ, that, that we're engaged. And there's something about worship that when we just listen to it or consume it is good, but when we participate in it is great because it allows us through joining one another in song to give glory to God and rightly order ourselves with him and to encourage one another and to come into his presence and be shaped by that. And so worship is an opportunity for all of those things to happen. Because we're wanting as a congregation to focus more on uh, worship as the place where those things happen and the participation in those things, Um, You'll notice in the coming weeks and months, we're going to make a couple of changes to our worship. Uh, We're going to be beginning each week instead of with kind of a welcome, which gives you information about uh, things that you might need to know. We're going to find other ways to do that. Uh, But we're going to begin with a call to worship. And every week, what we're going to do is invite the whole family of people who are here to come into a place of awareness of God's presence. To push out of your mind all of the distractions of Tuesday and Wednesday, all of the planning for the coming Monday, uh, getting out of your mind what you need to cook when you get home for lunch, get out of your mind the, the temptations and the struggles that are bothering you, and call to your mind what it means to be in God's presence on this day. And we'll do that. And so as you hear that uh, in all of our different uh, calls to worship, our welcomes each week, I encourage you to receive that invitation to push the distractions out and to bring the blessings that God has for you in that hour in. Uh, One of the things you'll also notice 
um, is that we're not going to do um, the announcement parade anymore at the end of services. Uh, and there's a couple reasons why. One is um, someone that, that used to attend here years ago and they moved out of state used to tell me, man, there are some weeks that I just, by the end of worship, just feel so close to God and then I get so distracted by, by the news report at the end of worship. Um, and that stuck with me, but more so than that, what we've kind of realized is that there's a lot of people you'll notice that aren't in the room at the end of worship. Our Spanish ministry is not here. Our children's church and junior church and their volunteers are in another room. Uh, our members who are traveling to be at other places or who are sick aren't in the room. And they don't always get the news. But if our ministry leaders can say, oh, I don't need to get that in the bulletin. I don't need to send everyone a message. I'll just make the announcement at the end of worship. Then we're missing a lot of our people and letting them know what we're up to and how they can get involved in the family. And so we're going to be asking all of our ministry leaders to get that to the office. We're going to communicate that out more. I'm telling you this partly because I'm not allowed to do it as an announcement at the end of services anymore. <laughs> but partly because there's two pieces of accountability here that we as a church family need to make. One, our ministry leaders need to commit to getting our information out to everyone. That's kind of the one anotherness and the encouragement of worship, getting that information out earlier. Uh, and to the office, we'll help send it out if you can get it to us. Uh, but the other one is this. If you want to be an involved and plugged in member at Northwest Church of Christ, you got to read what we're writing. Um, so check the newsletter. Check uh, your emails and your texts. And, and I think it's going to open up opportunities for us to communicate better and let each other know what all's going on here in a way that includes everybody and doesn't accidentally exclude some. Now, those are structural changes, right? Technical changes to worship, but they have spiritual implications because we're trying to, to emphasize in how we do things in this congregation that invite people into a worship-filled space where what we do on Sunday morning isn't a to-do list of all the things that God put in the order that we do them, that you have to accomplish and complete before you can go for, to lunch. This isn't that. What worship is, is an opportunity for you to give glory to God. It's an opportunity for you to encourage one another and be encouraged by one another. It's an opportunity for you to come into the presence of God. We believe at Northwest that God has a gift in worship waiting for you every week if you show up in a way that's attentive and willing to receive it. God's waiting for you. So we're going to be making some pivots to try and make that gift easier for you to find and to unwrap and to be blessed by so that when you leave, you can take it and not only be blessed yourself, but become a blessing to others. And so we have a number of scriptures we're going to go through today that kind of talk about worship as it functions in these ways so that you can see that, that the time that we spend together in this room is intended to be a time of blessing and of giving blessing to others and all of it done in a way that brings glory to God. The psalm that was read earlier is Psalm 95, and it invites us, come let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. For the Lord is a great God. Why do we sing to him in music and song? Because the Lord is a great God. 
the great king above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth, and the mountain peaks belong to him. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. So come, let us bow down and worship. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. This psalm invites us week after week, day after day, not just when you're in this room, but any time that these statements are true, to sing to God, to bless God, to give him glory. And now if you're someone that's like, I really, really can't carry a tune, um, there's a couple ways you can still follow the instructions of this psalm uh, and that'll be okay. Um, one of them is uh, what I call headphone karaoke, since we've all got headphones of some form or another. Uh, headphone karaoke is really, really funny to play um, because you think you know the words to your favorite songs, but if you put on headphones and sing really loud along with them in a room of people, they'll get to hear how badly you don't actually know the lyrics of the songs you think you know. However, you sound real good with headphones on. And so if you're in the car or if you're by yourself, sing along to praise songs on the radio. Sing along and give glory to God with headphones on while you're cleaning, right? If you're, a, you're up here on a Sunday afternoon, you're liable to hear Arlette headphone karaoke to worship songs right down the hallway. Uh, she sounds great to, to both of us. Um, and it's such an encouragement. And it can be to you, so find ways to do that. But even if you're not someone that is singing, because that is kind of a lost art, is singing out loud in our own world, speak praise to God. Speak worship to God. Tell God he's great because of who he is and because of what he's done. Speak to him over and over again with gratitude and thanksgiving, because you'll find that it blesses you to give thanks to God. It rightly orders our world when we are thankful. And the psalm tells us the reasons for giving glory to God. We worship him because he is the one who delivers us. We worship him because he is the one that we thank because he has authority over all things. There's so many times that we uh, go to God and we ask him, God, please help me get through this situation. And we get through that situation and we look back and we think, man, look at that. I got through that by myself. I didn't even need to pray about it. Uh-oh. You're giving thanks. You're giving worship. You're just giving it to yourself instead of the one that you asked to help you through it before you got in the crisis. We are always worshipful beings. We just all too often end up worshiping ourselves on accident. But when we give gratitude to God, we remember that he's the one that got us through the storm, through the tough season, and it gives us faith to get through them in the future. We worship God because he created the highest points in the world and the lowest points in the earth. He creates the land and the sea. The psalmist says, look at the world and give worship to God because his creation is beautiful and it is good. We worship him because he made us and we are his people. The psalmist talks about the flock. God is our shepherd. And he looks over us and he takes care of us. And there's no need that he doesn't give to us and, and bless us with. 
He's our protector and our provider. And so for all of these reasons, we give glory to God and we praise him and we worship him. And so when we go to church, we don't just sing because, you know, singing's what you do when you're in the room with the other people that do the singing to the Lord. It's not just a thing we're supposed to do at church. There's an invitation here for us to give glory to the one who deserves all glory, honor and recognition to the one who deserves all praise. But as I mentioned earlier, it's not just because uh, of him that we worship. Your worship blesses me and my worship is a blessing to you. When Paul's writing to the Colossians, He says this, he's talking about how Christians should remain united. He's talking about how Christians should add the virtues of God and avoid the evils of this world. And then he immediately transitions out of this talking about how to to be good, stay united, avoid evil. And then he starts talking about worship. He says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you are called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Our worship brings us peace and our gratitude rightly orders us. I've talked about this several times. And and I think it's important that we realize that good worship spiritually sorts us out. Thanksgiving is one of those things. And the way that, that gratitude and thanksgiving works to sort you out is if you're thankful for all the ways God has blessed you in the past, it gives you peace about your anxieties in the present. If you remember, man, I've been through worse days than this and God got me through it, then he'll get me through this one too. If you remember, man, I used to be hungry and God fed me, then it's not as big of a deal when you're thirsty today because God's going to provide for you. If you feel like you're lost and can't find your way, but you remember that you felt that way before and you're thankful that God got you through it, it gives you peace for the present and faith and hope for the future. You get rightly sorted out when you have gratitude as part of your regular worship to the one who gets you through everything. And then we do this with one another. We do this in community. And this is important because some of you have been through storms that I haven't been through. But your gratitude to God can be a blessing that gives me peace and faith in my present moment. Your prayers for me go to God and and become a blessing to me. My prayers for you become a gift for you. We teach and we admonish one another with wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit is what Paul tells the church in Colossians. And he has this idea that, that there is a gift in our worship for one another, that we become a, a giver of worship to each other, even as it's directed to give glory and gratitude to God. You receive a gift from my worship, and I receive a gift from your worship. And so it's good for us to do it together. Um, A lot of times uh, we don't talk about church attendance as much as we used to uh, because attendance is not as much of a a, a really important virtue and mandatory thing in the church as it used to be, right? 
uh, used to be if you missed uh, Sunday evening service, you had to kind of call someone and explain why you weren't there. Uh, we don't do that anymore, uh, but the, the reality is, is that when you choose to not be in not just this church service, but anytime you have an opportunity to be with other worshiping Christians and you choose not to, you give up a blessing that God had intended for you that day. And you give up a blessing that your brothers and sisters in Christ are offering to you that day. So should you feel guilty if you don't come? Not necessarily, but should you realize and be aware that there are gifts that God has in store for you that you're just leaving on the table? I think you should. I think you should. Because he wants you to receive them. Not because he needs your worship, but because there's a gift there that he wants to give you that you're not receiving. And it's true because worship brings us into the presence of God. And over and over again in Scripture, we see people that come into the presence of God and they leave transformed. They leave changed. In Exodus 3, Moses was tending the sheep. And that's what he planned to do for the rest of his life was take care of the sheep. And he comes into the presence of God in the burning bush. And the burning bush says, listen, I want you to go to Pharaoh and tell him to let my people go. And I'm going to let you be their leader and lead them out of Egypt and take care of them for the rest of your life. You're not going to be a tender of sheep anymore. You're going to be the tender of my, uh, the caretaker for my people. And Moses, after several objections, says, uh, God, I'd rather not. Can you send someone else? But when you come to the presence of God, you leave changed. And so Moses left as the leader of Israel as he delivered them on God's behalf and with God's authority out of Egypt. Elijah uh, had a moment where he has a great victory as a prophet and, and he comes out of it just overwhelmed and terrified and tired of his ministry. And he runs off to a cave to be by himself. And when he gets to the cave by himself, uh, God starts to show up. But he finds that God's not there in the fire and God's not there in the, the huge storm, but God's there in this gentle whisper. And as Elijah in the gentle whisper in the cave comes into God's presence, he leaves transformed. He was ready to retire from his prophetic ministry, but instead God says, no, it's time for you to go train up another who will allow you to pass the torch. But your ministry's not done. You've got more to do. And Elijah experienced God, and it changed him. Mary, the mother of Jesus, receives a visit from an angel, and her life becomes completely transformed by the presence of God coming on her and giving her a child who will become the Savior of all nations. She doesn't just change her life, she changes all of human history, hinges on the changes in her as a result of the presence of God. Over and over again, David, the king of Israel, writes in Psalm 16, You make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. He sings, this is the man who's known after a man after God's own heart. And in this psalm, he writes, When I come into your presence, Lord, I'm left with joy. I'm left with joy. When we come into God's presence in worship, we should leave filled with joy. And we should show up with expectation. We should show up with anticipation. We should, when we come together in worship, expect God to bring some change to our lives. 
I think so often we leave worship uh, thinking more about the lunch we're about to eat than the meal that God has just served us in worship because we don't expect him to show up and do anything. And God will often allow us to have our expectations met whether they're low or high. So when you come to worship, you've got a choice. You can show up with great expectation and see if God meets you there, or you can come in with low anticipation and see if God will meet you there. God says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. In our worship, we should be doing that. God will bless us. God will bless us. The last passage uh, that I want to uh, read today before we kind of finish here is from Hebrews chapter 10. In Hebrews chapter 10, uh, the book of Hebrews is explaining in so many different ways how Israel's ancient faith is becoming uh, Christianity's kind of new faith, that there's this new way of understanding a very old thing. And in Hebrews chapter 10, uh, the instruction here is this, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain, that is the body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Most of this imagery is lost on us today. But what you need to understand, is when the writer of Hebrews wrote this, uh, the temple existed in such a way that if you had a disease or you were a foreigner, you could only come to the outer gate. But if you were clean and a, a, an Israelite, you could go past that inner gate and go in there to where the court of women was. And then you could go through another gate uh, if you were a man who was an Israelite to the court of men. And if you were someone who was of the tribe of Levite and a priest, you could go through yet another gate into the court of the priests. And then if you were selected for service of the temple that month, you could go into uh, the actual temple itself where you would be doing the service and, and so many things of the works and the sacrifices. And if you were the priest selected by lot to go by a drawing to go into the Holy of Holies, you could go where the Ark of the Covenant was and where God dwelt and where the angels looked down upon this holy seat where they would sprinkle the blood of the sacrifices so that God would have forgiveness on his people. But you, if you weren't the one chosen to be in that room, didn't go in there without permission or you would die. So this, this passage in Hebrews that talks about how we can with confidence go into that inner room, that we should go in there brazenly just because of the blood of Christ, this is incredible. This is like nothing that's ever been taught before. The idea that humans can go into the presence of God without fear, that we can go into the presence of God with confidence, why can we do that? Because of the blood of Christ. So the question that the Old Testament asks over and over and over again, can God dwell with his people without killing them, is answered when Jesus came down and was one of us and died for us so that his blood becomes uh, the, the payment so that his spirit can now, for those who are cleansed by water, his spirit dwells in us. And so what do we get to do every week? 
We get to worship the God who or orchestrated all of that. We get to give him honor and glory because he deserves it. But not only because he deserves it, but because we need to give it. So that we don't end up worshiping the wrong thing. So that our world can be rightly ordered. So that we can receive the gift that God and each other have in store for us in worship every week. So that you can be blessed the way God desires to bless you. Because anything else is just leaving a gift unwrapped on the table. If you're here with us this morning, the invitation that I have for you right now is to stand and sing as we worship the one who is worthy of all worship and praise. Restore my spirit, Lord, I need restore. My heart is 